0: no matter what happens to you, you stay in the arena. You're not always gonna win, but you're always gonna try. And so long as you get smarter, you will have good things that happen to you, even as good other good things pass you by. And it's kind of like a mindset that you have to have if you're gonna be in, in, not even just in tech, just in entrepreneurship, probably.
1: All right, Greg. To start this episode, I'm going to need a story on this hat. If you're not watching on YouTube, uh, Greg has a very interesting hat selection for today's today's show. Greg, my 30th uh, birthday,
2: I went to Joshua Tree (laughs) with some of my closest friends, and they made me a hat called "What Would Greg Do?" WWGD. And I just remember wearing this hat, blowing out the candles. 30, 30 candles on my birthday and just feeling like feeling like I've made it because if you have a hat that says ww oh oh julian's putting on a hat is that a wwjd green what hat did julian do
1: also a green hat I I don't know if I have a green hat line around, okay guys. that's that's another hat that you can wear that you sort of made it
2: if you're wearing a spreadsheets hat
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But Greg's hat, your hat has a avatar of you on there. And that avatar always cracks me up because it's your old Twitter picture. And I remember like, because of your avatar, most people that were following you thought you were like a 55 year old man. And when we launched this podcast in what was that like November of 2021? and we filmed our first episode and put it up like half of the replies we got to the first episode were literally commenting on the fact that they thought greg was 55 and yeah, it turned out he's actually a younger guy.
2: People thought I was like a <laughs> you know mid 60s wall street journal jur- journalist. Um so I really confused people.
1: Mm. <laughs> you kind of give off those vibes. <laughs> Well, look, we're um Julian so so excited to have you on today, man. And this has been a long time coming. Julian Smith. Um we're going to get into a lot of who you are, so I don't want to like fail to do you justice by trying to define you with like a one sentence blurb at the beginning. So I'm going to mm-hmm. actually just refrain from doing that. Um but you are a, you know, personal friend to both of us. Um you know, someone we both admire a lot as a as an entrepreneur and as a thinker. Uh, more broadly, and so super excited to have this discussion with you and get to share it with everyone um, so that we can spend a little time getting inside your head and and just having a uh, having a little bit of a jam session here.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Did you know that one of the top
1: reasons startups fail is bad hiring decisions? People can be unpredictable, and developers can be unpredictable as well. Let Lemon.io take care of hiring your software engineers. Why Lemon.io? They test and interview every single specialist before offering them to clients. Unlike many other sites offering remote software developers, Lemon.io is sure they offer you experienced and verified devs. It's like hiring someone after your best friend's recommendation, but even better. Why? Because even the best friend can't offer you a replacement of the candidate in 48 hours or less if something goes wrong. But Lemon.io can. You'll be working with hand-picked software engineers from Europe. They'll be a part of your team. Lemon.io staff never intrudes on your communications unless you ask them to. Minimum bureaucracy, maximum efficiency. That's a win-win combination for developers and clients. So hire high-quality, verified, vetted engineers from Europe with lemon.io and be stronger than 90% of startups on the market. Go to lemon.io/room And get 15% off for the first four weeks. Get there before your competitors will. Check out Lemon.io today. If you're anything like me, your portfolio is a mix of the usual suspects. Stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Maybe you've even dabbled in some alternative assets, like crypto. But those investments can be incredibly unpredictable. You know what typically isn't unpredictable? Apartment buildings rental homes, industrial facilities, places we go every day to work, eat, and live. That's all private real estate. And thanks to its historical stability, as well as its reputation as a reliable income stream, these investments could be a valuable addition to your portfolio. This is where Fundrise comes in. Fundrise is changing the game when it comes to real estate investing and making this powerful asset class easily available to investors like you and me. Their easy-to-use app lets you build a real estate portfolio tailored to meet your goals. It's a great way to benefit from real estate's many perks while adding some much-needed diversification to your portfolio. So join over 250,000 other investors building a better portfolio with private real estate. Signing up is easy. Just head over to fundrise.com room. Again, that's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E com/ room to get started today. So I, I was trying to think about like where to start on this conversation. Greg and I were chatting yesterday as we had done our research and we're thinking about like, what's the right way to frame this up with Julian? Because you are, as I said, many, many things. Um, and I think probably a lot of people know you for your entrepreneurial pursuits arguably more interesting than your entrepreneurial pursuits is, um, your path and kind of how you formed your map of reality to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Greg was the one that alerted me to this, that you, um, and, and kind of sent me your website and some of your old blogs and the books you had written. So can you just walk us through a little bit to kind of set the stage on like, who is Julian Smith? Like, you know, you were, you were born, now you're here. Uh, what happened in between?
0: Yeah, I, I had to figure, so regarding the map of reality, I, uh, it, it's important to state that I was brought up super working class. My father was uh, a coach, like an exec coach. Uh, but really before that, he was a teacher in a one-room uh, school in Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, my mother was a secretary. And so I i, I think a lot of people in tech, they were like quite well connected, maybe at the very beginning, or they went to some cool school or some other thing. Uh, foundation, foundationally in my, in my life, I, I'm an underdog, which is, which is someone that believes that no one is going to pay attention, that uh, no, that I don't, that like, I'm never going to get a break, that no one's ever going to offer me a job, which is still really true, actually, even now, and uh, that I'm going to have to really, really work hard for all of the things that I have to do. Now, that said, at the same time, I'm also a person who has gotten super lucky very early on in my life. Greg and I share like a few things. I don't know how much, like I've been, there's a number of episodes of this I've listened to. I don't know if Greg has ever shared, like, for example, things about affiliate marketing, which I also share early on in my history, which is like these weird breaks where like, you know, previous to our generation, you couldn't have like some 20 year old kid that's like, yeah, I made a couple million dollars online, kind of doing nothing. And then I went on and did some other thing. But I, I was one of those people and um and and so just for people that don't
1: understand that. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is that? What is affiliate marketing? I like, it's, it's new to me relatively new as a concept. So like, what, what were you and Greg yeah. doing in those early days? You yeah. know, the, the little Montreal mafia of like 16 year old <laughs> that were somehow making bank on the internet um, yeah. while I was like dicking around doing God knows what at age 16. Well, I'm just you, fascinated you caught now. up. So
0: it's okay. It's, it's uh, it, it, what uh, Greg and I, I mean, I, he, he'd speak to his experience. We didn't know each other then, but in, in my, my background, where it came from is, I was one of the first podcasters in the world. That's not necessarily a thing you should be that proud of. It's interesting. But because of that, there was no way to monetize podcasts back then except for coupon codes. And as a result of coupon codes, because you could say a, a coupon code on a podcast, right? The result of that, which I've seen I've heard you do, is an ability to attribute a sale to a podcast. And so I got really, really, really good at hustling coupon codes back in 2004, uh, when I was uh, 25 or 26 or 27 or something. And that is how I switched from having like a real shitty job going back to the history, like, like no college degree dropped out like five, six times working a customer service job to recording a podcast. And all of a sudden I had an online income out of, out of nowhere. And, and so to back to the macro map of reality, it's like, it's kind of like, I'm going to have to keep working hard. But if I keep working hard, I don't know where the breaks are going to come from, but I'm going to get some. Right? It's kind of like how I think about what I do.
1: Yeah. It's like the, um, it's like this whole idea of like creating luck, um, which I've written about and talked about a lot. It's, uh, you know, one, and one form of that is, and I think Naval has written about this in the past, but you just like move around enough and create enough motion in your ecosystem that you're just bound to get lucky because you're like, you're mm-hmm. literally, if you were like an atom entering an ecosystem and you're just like shooting around, banging into things like shooting, you know, crashing into stuff, somehow, some way there's going to be some lucky thing that happens to you as a result of all that motion you're creating. Mm-hmm. And it's, I always love that as like a generalized mental model around these things, um, especially for young people. Cause I think it's like, it's something that anyone can do. Um, you know, you don't have to be an expert at something yet. You can just create a lot of motion and figure Most out your expertise as you go.
0: That's true. The the other side of that is it means that you're going to miss some. You're going to mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to go out and it's like one one of the things is like you used to take really take those things really personally. It's just be like, "Oh, I came up with this thing and then like, but we, a good early example is 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 being very early in podcasting. So early that I was obviously too early, right? And so it's like we used to talk about, ah, oh, it's gonna kill radio. And it was my first job. I got hired. My my podcast ended up on Sirius Satellite Radio in two thousand. I feel like six or something like. Oh that. Oh my gosh, like, that's a big break, but it's such a big break in sw- such a small ecosystem back then. It, it turns out that doesn't fucking matter. And so being early is
1: the same thing as being wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: And so, uh, and and so you're going to, you're going to get some lucky breaks presuming, you know, the hamster wheel keeps going and you keep staying on it. But at the same time, you're going to miss some. And when you miss some, you, you have to just like take the L and move on.
1: Yeah. The question is how painful those misses are. And like if they damage you or if they compound in the long run, I've always thought, you know, there's like, um, Something I've thought about recently is like, you know, if you're using like a fighter example, if you're kind of a fighter and you take like a glancing blow, you know, someone like almost knocks you out, but it like kind of slips off. There's like two types of people. There's the person that is like, oh, phew, I'm good. Don't worry about it. Like he missed Mm -hmm. me. And then there's the person that's like, what did I do? Yeah. That exposed me to that, like what did I learn from that situation right there? Why did mm-hmm. I take that glancing blow, and how do I avoid that in the future? And the second person is obviously able to like compound on the positive experience from taking mm-hmm. the glancing blow where the first person is just as likely to take a knockout blow on the next punch because they didn't sure. learn from that first one. Um, so it's an interesting thing. I think like what you're talking about as you, as you learn, as you create that motion, what are you doing to learn from those L's, um, and actually build upon them rather than just have them be, you know, some L on your scorecard. It's
0: difficult because when you, when you do this, when you take them, you also all of a sudden realize your own vulnerability. Like, like I remember the first time I, I went out surfing way too far, way too early. And as a result of doing that, like I almost drowned at least once. Right. And so that's when you, you're out there and I remember this happened. It's it like a critical moment in my life. I'll never forget it. I was saved. Well, I mean, there were a lot of surfers around me, so I probably wasn't going to drown. But holy shit, did I ever feel like I was going to drown? Mm. And uh, and so what it does is it it creates this kind of vague PTSD or maybe acute PTSD uh, from from something that traumatizes you that could be a business failure or it could be re- very visceral, like what I'm describing right now. And and the hardest part as you get older and you have more like experience under your belt doing these things is to retain that kind of fearlessness, right? And and it's that's why Peter Thiel, who by the way, like all of these people who we used to like just quote without any repercussions, now we quote them and we're afraid to do so because they're they've they've gone off the rails in some cases. I don't agree with everything he says, but. I, uh, he would be like, no, no, you don't want failure. People in startups talk about failure and, and, and really embrace it to a degree. That's true. But at the same time, uh, the fearlessness is inc- so incredibly valuable, like breather. I would never have started such an ambitious company as a second time company because it takes so much balls to be able to do that, to do this crazy radical off, off the wall thing that nobody had really even conceived of existing. As, an, as yeah, a third I was startup, have, that's really hard, right? I, I was going to ask
1: you guys this as like both of you you know, are builders and you've tried, tested, failed, succeeded with a variety of things over your careers and lives. Do you think that there is a common thread of like having that almost like irrational optimism or like degree of arrogance, like the willingness to go out way deeper than you should have surfing. And mm-hmm. the the version of that, that is in work, you know, you mentioned it with breather, like Greg, have you experienced that as a builder consumer social is like the ultimate example of that. I think anyone that goes into consumer social to build has to have that type of like boundless, irrational optimism to some extent, or like I want to clarify
2: the, the, you know, sort of where we came from and how that impacts who we are. And I think this is relevant to anyone not from New York and not from San Francisco. Uh, you know, a lot of our friends that we grew up with and clarify if I'm wrong, Julian, but they're not doing big things at all. Um, a lot of them don't even work and they don't. It's not like they're not working because they're on the beach. They're just like barely working, part-time jobs, you know, consulting one day a week, chilling out. And this is like we're I know. Not supposed to talk. I'm about- gonna I'm gonna offend a lot of people. I'm I'm breaking the You're code, breaking the code. You're breaking but, the code. You know. I'm breaking you are. Like the code the that exists and where we came from is high. And there's a cost associated Mm -hmm. with that as well. And Mm -hmm. because of that, I think people like Mm -hmm. Julian and I kind of like, you know, our role models were people in books and people that we watched on TV. Like there's a reason why Julian was reading like a book a week Mm -hmm. or something like that and ended up writing, you know, New York Times bestselling book. And there was reasons why, you know, I was, you know, traveling a lot and, and, and sort of spent a lot of time there. The point is the... The other thing is the cost The cost of, like, us failing was, is, you know, felt, I don't know, it felt smaller. Um, you know, when, when I could have gotten an apartment mm-hmm. for $500 a month instead of $4,000 a month in San Francisco. Or when all my friends, you know, when I started a company thought I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I felt like being from a place where there's less success stories you just feel a bit more fearless because
1: you think that made you, you kind think, of Julian? invincible? It's,
2: it's like
0: invincible? Adam, Greg, uh, uh, we have a lawyer that we collectively have shared in the past. Name, his name? I'll just say his first name. Adam is the name of the lawyer. And he, I I brought breather to him, by the way, like literally nobody thought that this was a good idea. Like, I, and I mean it like literally no one, maybe Greg, like I was like, here, you should like, which does this, and and maybe he was the closest thing to maybe accepting that this could be a company. Right. And so and so uh, we I bring the lawyer to breakfast in Westmount. Some of you care about this. Most of you will not. And he, and and the lawyer, the lawyer brings a um, a sort of real estate like management firm dude. And both of them were like, you should not like you have you have a successful thing going. You like you got a New York Times bestselling book. Like you're doing speaking gigs, like don't do this was the general attitude of like, don't fuck up your life. Right. And so it's it we and that's one of the hardworking ones. In in general, it's like, you know, I I always think about this, this Paul Graham thing about like a city is is telling you something. The city itself is not telling you something, but the ethos of that city is saying things to you and And where we come from, the city is just like, "Yeah, hang out. like everything's cool, you're gonna be all right. you don't need to work that hard and and so it makes it it, it makes the cost of failure low because nobody cares anyway. Uh, versus let's say, in New York where everyone is richer and cooler than you, or whatever the hell else. But the other downside of it the is that you have no support. And and when you have no support, you become incredibly, like, galvanized against other people saying things that, like, they don't agree or, and, like, like literally nobody, like, you know, I remember being in the first 10,000 users in Twitter in 2006, like, as you know, you just went through your, my history of things and, and you discover that I've been around for a long time. And so I have. And, and just, I would I would come back to like people around me and be like, hey, here's this thing. Meanwhile, it was on Oprah or whatever, whatever was happening with Twitter back then. And everyone everyone around me was like, this is dumb. You are dumb. If I go back to high school, it's just like there was a lot of that back then as well. And this is when it really, I started becoming galvanized against ultimately rejection. It's just like like, I had no choice, but to kind of like rise out of the ashes of this fucking like, way of being It's just like okay wait nobody agrees with me either i'm dumb but i don't think i am i feel like i got something maybe these people just don't understand me and you just get stronger and stronger and stronger as you do this right and so like that's like the thing about growing up in this different type of ecosystem that that values different things
1: it seems like there's also a common thread in what you guys are saying of just like realizing that the worst case isn't that bad Um, I've always like, Greg, I've talked to you about this recently. Like I've had these deep seated fears of certain things. Um, one of my deep seated fears is like people calling me an idiot. Like people, people realizing that I'm an idiot, you know, like an imposter syndrome thing Mm -hmm. of like, oh my God, they're going to figure out that I'm an idiot and that I don't belong here. And like for the longest time, I've just been like, oh my God, really careful about everything that I say everywhere because I was just worried about that. And then I kind of got dragged on the internet for something that I said, which, you know, was probably like not really well thought through um, and probably naive, fair. But like a lot of people called me an idiot all at once. And I texted Greg and I was like, you know, there's sort of this funny feeling of like once it's happened, you realize like, oh, I'm still here. Um, Like I got punched in the face a whole lot there over and over and over again by like my biggest fear, like something I really deeply, viscerally did not want to ever happen to me. And I'm still standing here. And mm-hmm. we're still having this conversation. I still have friends, like people still care about me. It's okay. Um, and I think that there's like a common thread there as well of just like that realization with entrepreneurs that the worst case, you know, you fail, like the thing you thought was going to work is not and you kind of pick your pick yourself up. And like, American law has great bankruptcy laws. And you can, you know, like make your way and re, you know reset the clock and figure out how to go do your next thing and take another shot at it. And there's plenty of case studies of people who have had that happen and then had mm-hmm. their amazing success on turn 3 4 or 5
0: that it's it's very true and at the same time you are always thinking because you're you're watching the media in not the media with capital M but you're watching various forms of like info that is is being pushed pushed back at you and the media is driving this narrative of you're young probably you your parents are rich Probably uh, you have a reality show, probably you're thin and successful and like all of these other things. And you're like, you look at yourself in the mirror, whoever you are, it doesn't really matter. And you're like, uh, but I'm ugly and stupid. <laughs> and, and so, um, uh, and it doesn't matter how many successes you have under your belt, there's still a part of you that still try to fight that. I was listening to your Josh uh, Wolf thing the other day. And uh, it was incredible the transparency of someone who's obviously done really well and who's well respected, but who at the same time, uh, it, uh, it, it, it allowed him to be even more clear about what his weaknesses are. And I really respect that because it takes even, you know, it it takes a lot, it it especially takes a lot as an entrepreneur, because as an entrepreneur, it is especially like this, this, the culture of we're doing well, I'm doing well is so consistent and pervasive. But as a second time entrepreneur, I will tell you something that I really learned. In my first company, venture back company, I really was like, we're doing well, everything's going great. I really I did this, I trumpeted this attitude of positivity. Now what I do is, is I say, here's the things that are going well. Here's the things we need to work on. And, and I think that, 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 that understanding that there's still something to work on. First of all, it gives an impression to me that uh, of me that people are like, oh, he actually knows what he's doing. He's not just like relentlessly trumpeting optimism all the time. And then the second one is I get to them like normalize, the fuck ups, which is like, yeah, we don't know this yet and we don't understand this yet and we don't understand yet this yet versus saying one thing and believing another and and, and having that, that difference between the outside world and the inside world uh, cause you to like fucking have anxiety attacks or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, you talked about a lot of this in um, one of your blog posts, like when I was going through and reading some of your old blogs to get um a better understanding of you prior to the episode um you know one of your like best blog posts is Mm -hmm. is called the complete guide to not giving a fuck okay and (laughs) it's so good like highly recommend people go Mm -hmm. and and read it because it's amazing and Mm -hmm. i just super super thoughtful um can you talk a little bit about that piece i mean like People know this concept because of a book that came out, although I'm checking the date stamps on it. Your piece came out April, 2011. That book came out in 2016. So I'm going to ask you about that as well.
0: (laughs) And and, and it's um, ironic that I was, I was an author of book then like at that time uh, when that piece was written at the same time. Right. I hadn't started a company. I, I, so, so I don't really talk about this because I, it's one of the things that I sort of moved past, but I'll talk about it here with all y'all because we know each other and so on. And it's like, whatever. Uh, but, but I definitely, I don't want to be one of those people that is like, but look at this thing before it. Cause you know, what happens in tech is all these people are like, but I invented Twitter before five years before. And then you're like, no, you fucking didn't. (laughs) You fucking invented a stupid thing. And so here, here is the story. The story is in 2011, uh, I guess I published this, this blog post, which you can look up. And the reason it was so successful, is because from an SEO standpoint, my website was excellent and my uh, and my affiliate marketing business was based in SEO. And so when I wrote this piece, all of a sudden I ranked number one for years for how to not give a fuck, for years. And so 10,000 visits a day or some shit would go to my website with oh. this idea of not giving a fuck. Right. If we should think about it as an incredible like a thing that lots of people want. And so uh, I, I did write a book then, which actually is which was extremely well read at that time. And even today that that still I, I get message about called Flinch, which is this, about this idea of, of uh, making sure not to to um, to sh- to shirk away from things that you're afraid of. And then I wrote another book, which is Portfolio Penguin, which is called The Impact Equation. After those three books, I went and I started Freezer. But alongside that happening, probably what happened is that, and this is, this is the part that I kind of try not to talk about because I, I don't want it to seem like sour grapes. Well, yeah. I asked about it. So yeah, you, so, yeah I hug. know. I understand. Yeah. Typically, I would not bring this up. Is This thing continued to rank number one for Complete Night Guide to Not Giving a Fuck for literally forever. And then along the line, some kind of thing happened. And then it became a book and then I started seeing it in bookstores and I'm not saying, because I haven't read this book and i by the way, I have no intention of reading it ever, but lots of people have read it. I've, I went to Italy one time and I, I saw somebody reading it on at, at, next to the pool. And I was like, man, this is really weird. And I, and, but I, this is one of those things about staying in the arena. You, no matter what happens to you, you stay in the arena. You're not always going to win, but you're always going to try. And so long as you get smarter, you will have good things that happen to you, even as good other good things pass you by. And it's kind of like an, a mindset that you have to have if you're going to be in, in not even just in tech, just in entrepreneurship probably.
1: So I appreciate you sharing that because I know that it's not something you've you've shared publicly before. I, I have read the book. Um, I thought your blog post was better just for what it's worth. Don't don't uh-huh. t- don't tell the uh, don't <laughs> tell the author of the book. Um, but uh, no, I, I mean, look, it is. Um, it's another example of like one of those, you know, one of those moments in your career that, you know, at the time feels damaging and and you wrestle with and you know, you're like, everyone talks about this is something I just think about a lot. We all talk about like, oh, failure leads to growth or like dark Mm -hmm. times, you know, darkest before the dawn, like there's all these cliches and adages. And I'm just as, uh, you know, responsible because I spout them on Twitter all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the reality is that like dark times, failures, whatever, they just fucking suck. And Mm -hmm. like, no matter how much excuse my language, like no matter how much, you know, you like read those things and say them to yourself, whatever, when you're in it, it's just dark like (laughs) there and sometimes it just stays dark and Mm -hmm. you're just like down and you don't know when it's going to come out and you don't see a path to it being good or green. And you're just like, it just sucks. And there's no way around that. You just have to kind of be in it and go through it. Um, And this seems like one of those moments, but on the other side of it, obviously was a lot of um, what it really causes you
0: to do is you get better at suffering, which is a crazy thing to think Mm -hmm. about, but it's like the first time that you suffer, you're just like, wow, mm. this is terrible. But so long as you persevere, and by the way, we're talking about entrepreneurship. We're not getting, we're not talking about tort like torture, right? And we're mm. not talking about war. Yeah, true. And suffering. we're not talking about yeah. real yeah, yeah. shit. Starvation. What we're talking about is yeah. you have a thing. You're trying to make something of yourself. You're some random person in a corner. You're trying to build the world to a degree in your image more than it was before, which was zero. And so uh and so like so like just stay on the treadmill and just keep going regardless of what happens. And then as those bad things happen, you actually, you, you become much better at handling them. This is why I don't have to say like my, actually my company is doing quite well. Thank you. By the way, you've both been a part of the last financing and that's awesome. And thank you for that. I, uh, I, the, um, the, even though my company is doing well, I don't like overshoot it and assume, oh, and then we're going to make, and then the next financing is going to be like this. And then we're going to have this much in, in revenue. And like, I'm just like, I work on today. I work on today, regardless of what happens, whether that day is good or bad. And it's it's actually incredibly clarifying to do that. And, and it's like, if you are working on projects like this, whether... It, it, what it does is a little bit is if whether you are succeeding or failing kind of becomes beside the point it's, and I, I will say like in entrepreneurship, like, cause, cause I coach CEOs, right? Because practice the company that we're talking about here is, is an, is a, uh, a software platform for coaches to run their businesses. And so as a result of that, I coach first time CEOs. And when you see the inside of their business, it's like, it's not fucking easy out there, man and so like to anyone that's listening to this it's like these guys seem maybe they seem to have it figured out or something we truly do not like we're just we're just really doing our best one day at a time and and uh, maybe we have a lot of suffering behind us so we've made a lot of mistakes I, I love
2: we the we suffer too. less cuz i think that's so true i remember 2011 2012 coming from montreal to san francisco put all my money into this video discovery startup i was running called Five Buy. And I was literally like reaching out to anyone Mm -hmm. who would talk to me and I went for a hike with this entrepreneur and I was telling him what I was doing and he was like, oh dude, like that sounds exactly like insert famous consumer social app person uh, is doing. It sounds like, and I showed him the Mm mock-ups. He's like, dude, it's literally like pixel for pixel the same. And I was like, could you put me in touch with him? And, like, you know that feeling, like, your heart sinks? Mm -hmm. Um, That's how I felt. Yes. Put it put in, you know, we we get in touch. The next day, we're having coffee. Um, He shows me the platform. And it's, like, a, (laughs) it's, like, not only is it Pixel uh, for Pixel better, or Pixel for Pixel the same, it's, like, 10x better, and everything is just more thought out. And uh, he looks me in the eye, and this is the craziest thing that, you know, (laughs) It's such a crazy thing to say. And he he was like, I wouldn't even sell my company for a billion dollars to Google because he had sold his last company to Google. And I basically left that coffee meeting just like, you know, crying. Like, honestly, like I was just like, this is this is done. Mm -hmm. Like, this is over before it's even begun. And you're totally right. Like, ever since then, like every, you know, Big suffering event has been like less and less and less. Um, but if you're going to sign up to entrepreneurship, you are going to suffer, period.
1: If you're anything like me, your portfolio is a mix of the usual suspects stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Maybe you've even dabbled in some alternative assets like crypto. But those investments can be incredibly unpredictable. You know what typically isn't unpredictable? Apartment buildings rental homes, industrial facilities, places we go every day to work, eat, and live. That's all private real estate. And thanks to its historical stability, as well as its reputation as a reliable income stream, these investments could be a valuable addition to your portfolio. This is where Fundrise comes in. Fundrise is changing the game when it comes to real estate investing and making this powerful asset class easily available to investors like you and me. Their easy-to-use app lets you build a real estate portfolio tailored to meet your goals. It's a great way to benefit from real estate's many perks while adding some much-needed diversification to your portfolio. So join over 250,000 other investors building a better portfolio with private real estate. Signing up is easy. Just head over to fundrise.com/room. Again, that's f u n d r i s e.com/room. To get started today. Did you know that one of the top reasons startups fail is bad hiring decisions? People can be unpredictable, and developers can be unpredictable as well. Let Lemon.io take care of hiring your software engineers. Why Lemon.io? They test and interview every single specialist before offering them to clients. Unlike many other sites offering remote software developers, Lemon.io is sure they offer you experienced and verified devs. It's like hiring someone after your best friend's recommendation, but even better. Why? Because even the best friend can't offer you a replacement of the candidate in 48 hours or less if something goes wrong. But Lemon.io can. You'll be working with hand-picked software engineers from Europe. They'll be a part of your team, Lemon.io staff never intrudes on your communications unless you ask them to. Minimum bureaucracy, maximum efficiency. That's a win-win combination for developers and clients. So hire high-quality, verified, vetted engineers from Europe with Lemon.io and be stronger than 90% of startups on the market. Go to lemon.io room and get 15% off for the first four weeks get there before your competitors will check out lemon.io today you guys are both entrepreneurs you've both been in the arena in that very real way um, I, I want to talk a little bit about like that first kind of that first action like you know for for Julian for your first company like when you made the jump from um, you know being an author speaking tour, all, you know, to your point, the lawyers told you like, you have a great thing going. Why are you making this change? Mm-hmm. What was it like? What was the insight? And what was your first action step when you were going to jump into it? I think a lot of people would benefit from hearing that because there's a lot of people who have the ideas yeah. and then don't take the action. And it's like, how do you combine the two? What was your kind of moment? And and how did you make that jump?
0: You know, it's interesting. I haven't thought about this in a long time, but I was a big habit proponent back in the day. And, and um, what I did was I was using a habit app uh, and I wrote in it as one of my things, work on secret project. And it's, and it's, and it's like remarkably simple, right? Like I, I knew, I really cared about this thing. I didn't know what it was at the time. And actually it was like a shitty version of the idea probably back then. But I, I, I made an effort to work on it every single day yeah, and and I mean that's how it started, and it 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 sort of grew in seriousness. It grew in seriousness. What did that
1: mean to you? Like work on a project every single day. Like what did that? Wanted, I just wanted to mean? put.
0: I just wanted to push the ball forward in any way that I could. I did not care what it was, so long as I could check it off. Hmm. And I had not like you know I had a kind of intellectual honesty towards myself. Like I'm not going to bullshit on myself about it. And I said, so long as I advance this, I can see whether or not it was something. And there came a stage where I just got an unbelievable, crazy optimism. And my, uh, like my crazy optimism was like nothing I'd ever had about anything. And I was like, I'm pretty sure not only did I believe that it was fundamentally going to happen. By the way, I knew nothing about it. I used to send Greg emails about like, I have no idea how to raise money. I'm so like, I have no idea what I'm doing. These people seem so smart. I'm so stupid. I, I looked at these emails a few months ago. It's ironic, like when how it went since then, right? But like, I I really believed that I knew nothing and that I had no path to doing it because I didn't know anybody like that. Like back to the network, I, I had nobody in my world. I tr- I don't even think I really even knew what entrepreneurship was, but I I had a sense that if I could advance it just a little bit at a time every day, it would become more real, and then ultimately it did, and that's how I learned to become a CEO and that's how i learned to raise all this money and and build a business in all of these cities and all these things as a result of just kind of taking and just for the listeners like
2: this is he was when he when Julian's talking about raising all this money he's not talking about you know 500k or a million dollars you know he's just being a humble canadian here we're talking <laughs> in the in the hundreds yeah. of millions of dollars mm-hmm. lots of money in a short amount of time yeah,
0: yeah. about yeah. 200 million dollars so, over time
2: yeah. and this so, is a guy who yeah literally didn't know anything about startups like i like like it's <laughs> he true. he literally did yeah, not really and don't. then he like he was emailing me and i was like 22 at the time or something so and and we were kind of like going back and forth when we were in the arena together and just like sort of you know doing our best and seeing what julian had d- did from i want to say what, like, two? when did you start Breather? 13. Yeah, so in, in, in a, it's pretty inspirational because in a matter of a few years going from not knowing much about venture back startups to zero to one, you know, hundreds of employees, hundreds of millions of dollars raised, um, coming from a place that's, you know, he didn't graduate from Harvard or whatever, wasn't living in New York or San Francisco, had no existing network like he he bootstrapped it and he did it because he treated it like a job
0: i I, i'm looking at the emails right now (laughs) and and i'm looking at them and it's literally me like kind of vaguely not like it's like an egalitarian relationship it's it's two people speaking equals but literally me going i have no idea what i'm doing do you know how how to raise money because i don't and (laughs) i don't know anybody that does and he sent me these shitty like decks from 2012 or whatever it is. And I, and I don't even know how I got over the hump to tell you the truth, but I will say that we were lucky. Like, like I was, I was lucky because I, I would be able to, for example, I called Gary Vaynerchuk on the phone. It was like a story I'll never forget on my life. Cause I have the, the his, some of the history that probably many people don't know is I have epilepsy. I don't have a lot of seizures, but I worry about seizures a lot. And um, and sleep really meaningfully affects whether I have them or not. And so I'm sitting in the back of an Uber back when they were just limos, and I'm taking this call with Gary Vaynerchuk because I happen, like we know each other from the book world, right? So I am kind of more networked at this point because I've written a couple books, blah, blah, blah. And so I I'm lying down, like fearful of whether I'm gonna have a seizure or not, which I don't obviously. And uh, and I'm like, hey, and I say to the dude, like, do you mind if I lie down in, in your thing in the backseat? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, sir, while you're in my car, you are a king. I was like, wow. I take the call from Gary and and he he goes something like, I don't have time to advise because I was just like, I was like, well, he didn't even like, does he, does he really know me that well? Is he? And he's like, yeah, Julian has been around a super long time. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely invest no problem. And he just gives me my, basically my first money right there. So it's like, we do have those advantages, but at the same time, like it required some happenstance for people to just give you a shot. And that's the thing that I really never forget. I, and I remember talking to somebody about this recently, it's like, I will never forget people that give me a shot. Greg to a degree is a person that gave me a shot, really being willing to kind of like help me out and learning how to do this. And as much as possible, whenever I find smart people, I'm just like, I want to give them a shot.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, the people that there's kind of two people that you never forget, uh, people that gave you a shot and people that were there for you in your darkest times. Um, I like, I always think about that. Like you can count on two hands, the people in those categories for you and they are so, so impactful and you never forget them. Like the person that is there for you, I call them darkest hour friends, but like the person that is there for you when shit is really bad. Um, because it, it's just not convenient it's not cool it's not positive for them like everyone wants to be there when you raise a bunch of money and there's like the celebration of the round and everyone's going to be there for you julian we're going to be like yo this is sick let's go party we go to vegas you know you just raised 100 million mm-hmm. awesome yeah. but like how many of those people are there when the shit goes belly up and yeah. it's not working and you know you're having to fire sale it like whatever it is like how many of those people are still there and for it's so. it's very few unfortunately mm-hmm. um but those people that are are the people that then come up over and over and over again in your life and that you want to be there with in the trenches with.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting because like, I have to say, I have these old friends of mine again from like back in the day that I stay friends with and I've been friends with them since high school or college. But increasingly, it's like you have your friends kind of have to be entrepreneurs. It's not like universally true, but they just like get you in a way that other people do not. And there is this mutual understanding. And again, like I'm making these weird analogies, it's like two people went to war we didn't. We do not go to war, not really, but we have a set of unique experiences that are that really cannot be shared with other people that have never started companies before and have never like basically smashed their face up against the wall over and over and over again until like a brick fell out and then they were able to like squeeze their whole body through the brick somehow and make Julie, a company out of it. Like those those Julie people that I, have done that. Yeah.
2: I'm. I'm I want to talk about this because. And we we haven't talked about this you know privately at all. So I'm just curious your perspective. Um, I've actually over the last since COVID basically have been spending way more of my time with the people I grew up with who are not entrepreneurs, and mm-hmm. increasingly spending more and more of my time with those people, and <laughs> less and less time with entrepreneurs and uh, and people like that. And I've been, I've been finding it to be really fulfilling because like, these are the people, these are your day ones and there's just something Mm -hmm. that's like wholesome and pure about it. And I've really, really, I've been enjoying that uh, experience that I've been having. I felt. Were they family members? uh, Mostly like who you went to like elementary school with. Like, I know you, like in my mind, I don't know if you Mm. want to talk about it, but like you have this. Group of people that you, you know, share an experience with uh, on a regular basis. I don't know. We can cut this out if if you don't want to talk about it. like.
0: Do... <laughs> no, no. But what he, what he's saying what the what, what what he's saying is he 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 knows that I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> with the same people since I was about ten to fifteen years old. That's what he's saying. Go ahead. That's like going. Stranger yeah. Things stuff. I love that. Uh, Stranger Things is the cool version. This was way before that. Well, right, I mean, like, I actually really on.
2: that's what, like what I respect about you. One of the things I really respect about you, Julian, is that you have both worlds. Like I feel like you you spend time with people who um, are are entrepreneurs who are building incredible things, investors, that sort of thing, but you also even when you had raised all this money and you'd built this huge company or you're starting a new company practice and it's starting to scale, you're still you're still making time for those day ones. And that's really, like, I respect that. And you you know that about me, like, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I I really, like, I don't, I I wouldn't want to lose that, that wholesomeness and purity. Um, I'm just curious your perspective on it.
0: Yeah. So, I I mean, I I agree with you. I know that you have always been, I, I don't know if the right phrase, maybe it is family orientation, actually. I would say you're more family oriented than me but I have recently become more family-oriented. It it just happened to be my father passed away like right before COVID, thank God. And uh, and I was suddenly left with mostly my mother's side of the family. And I found that I could bond with them in a new way, which I've now begun to do And all of a sudden I feel like I'm part of the family, almost like like a clan in a way that I didn't think before. But I was, I distinguished that from these early longstanding friends of mine That I've had a really long time, and that probably are the people that keep me grounded because otherwise, my identity would have been too attached to I run a startup. Oh my God, I'm you know, like I'm the second coming. And then, when if the company is tanking, then I'm tanking and I'm worthless. But I had this kind of like separate ability to identify, like, I had a separate ego where I felt, you know, it's because of the fact that they never cared and even now I'm you know I'd be like oh yeah I raised like 25 million dollars and and uh, seems to be going pretty well and I met Warren Buffett or whatever random thing they're just like i don't care <laughs> i don't care it's incredibly comforting right because clearly they got to love you, people for around you. Right?
1: yeah It's good to, it's good to have people around you that just don't care at all about the thing that, you know, other people would be like wowed by. It's just like, it's grounding and humbling at all times.
0: You're totally right. But, but I think that to a degree, people like us, you kind of admitted it and I'm admitting it here is like, like we're trying to prove something to other people. Like maybe our own self-worth, maybe we're trying to prove it to ourselves. And so when someone doesn't acknowledge that, then you're just like, okay, you like me for me? Like, that's weird. Why? <laughs> I, don't I guess get it, it depends
1: on who on. I guess it depends on who it is in your life. Like there are very few people that I think most people are willing to be one hundred percent authentically themselves around. And y- you can say that you are that way around your partner, spouse, etc. I would argue that most people actually still aren't. They're still mm-hmm. like presenting a you know better version of themselves because it's very difficult to be like truly open yourself up in every way. Um, I think maybe with like your parents, uh, you're that way or with your, probably not with your children, but maybe with your parents, you're willing to be that way. Um, But it's like a scary thing, right? Like I remember the big moments of my life, like big turning points of like going to, you know, going to school and going from being like big fish in a small pond to going, you know, I went out to Stanford to play baseball and I was like really bad at baseball relative to most of the players on the team and not very smart compared to most of the students in my classes. And that imposter syndrome that I felt and that insecurity that I felt was like highly motivating, but also like quite disturbing at times. I mean, just like dark, dark feelings of Mm. constantly being stressed. And like, you know, it's like the duck syndrome of everything looks fine on the surface. And you look and you're like, oh, everything's great with this person. I think we constantly do that, by the way, with entrepreneurs. Um, You know, we look at these people that have made a billion dollars or made a hundred million dollars. And we say, like, their life must be awesome, man. That, like, so cool. Uh, They must be happy all the time. They must be great. And the reality is that a lot of these people could best be described as tortured. Um, I think I heard, like, Patrick O'Shaughnessy maybe say that or tweet that about amazing people he had talked to. A lot of these people, like, there's real downsides to... Um, you know, having this unbelievable ambition and drive to go achieve more and more and more um, there's a darkness on the other end of it that comes as mm-hmm. part of that kit quote unquote that um, is very, very real yeah you um
0: uh, I, I often refer back to this whole story about um, uh, the uh, John Rockefeller senior, who was the richest man in the world at that time. And who uh, was an incredibly incredible family man, but also super stingy, even inside of his own family, like totally terrorized people like John Rockefeller Jr., we know as the person who built Rockefeller Center, uh, and who was a cutthroat monopolist, but at the same time uh, was able, due to his monopoly of oil, to to stabilize the price of oil, and as such enable stuff to be built on top of it, which could not be done when you add all of these oil fields that some of which were being built and some of which were going bankrupt and all these other things. Instead, he silently bought them all underneath, right? And so you've got, and by the way, later on, like was able to revolutionize medicine as as a result of all of the funding that he was able to give it and turn it into a real science, many people say. So you've got these people that I, like, we just have to give up on them being normal. Like the idea that they, we should just be able to carte blanche, think of them as being successful and they're just great. And if you meet them, it's gonna go well, like it's not. Like we are close to these people. You know, it's interesting. I, I was once having a conversation with because um, I was funded by one of uh, Peter Thiel's uh, venture funds called Valar that focused on investments outside the United States at the time. And I was having conversations and I'd be like, yeah, I kind of wish I don't even know if I should be saying this, but it's like, I was like Peter Thiel money. And I was like, we were very candid with one another. It was actually a pretty solid relationship. And I was like, I don't know. It's not like the cleanest money in the world. Like he's kind of a weird dude. And because I would just say anything. And he was the, the two guys that run this fund were like, you should see what's out there, man. It's, it's, it's not clean out there either. He's like this is pretty good, and so I think if we like, we separate completely. And I know it's very difficult to do that. We separate the acts of success and the things that they have built completely from the person. That way, we can be like, "That's super cool that you built PayPal, and then this, and then this, and then this, and this." And uh, maybe you do drink people's blood. Like it is possible at this point, you know. I don't know. So the, if we do that. I think that we'll be able to normalize, uh, this idea that, uh, that people are, uh, that they're special. We we are able to say they're actually not special. They just work exceptionally hard. And it doesn't mean that they're like paragons of virtue. And it doesn't mean we should worship them. we statues about them and all these things. They, they did a really good thing. They did a really good thing. Doesn't really say anything about who they are at all. And I, I think that that would be very psychologically healthy for a lot of people.
1: So before we get to the end of our time, I do want to just get into the weeds a little bit on Julian on what what you're building now and sort of like the indirect and direct ties to what you had worked on before. So breather, you know, for people that aren't familiar was like, um, you know, unique spaces like you could, um, you know, book spaces to get a breather, which like, by the way, it might've been early for its time and maybe there were flaws in it, which you can talk about separately. Um, but it's like a great concept, right? Like everyone wants a breather. Um, the idea of it makes a ton of sense. Um, and candidly, like if you're in a city and you can find a space to actually just catch your breath and like meditate for a few minutes or do a call or just get away, totally makes sense. Um, you worked on that. You mentioned earlier that, you know, there were things as a first time entrepreneur that you really learned, Um, and that you're applying and and approaching differently with practice, which is what you're building today. Can you talk about that, um, transition from being kind of a first time entrepreneur to a second time and how it's informed your building process for what you're doing today?
0: So I I will say this, like I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll maybe compare it to the, uh, the book business. Right. And so when you're in the book business, what happens is you have hits and misses and hits and misses It's just like, well, that book did really well. And then that book that I wrote thought it would do well. And so I'm just going to kind of keep writing them. And uh, it's kind of a crapshoot. And there's much more of that kind of like Picasso effect. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's called Young Geniuses and Old Masters. And the book Mm -hmm. is about the two paradigms for how to become better. One of them is you have a game-changing thing that you do early in your life, like Picasso. The second type is the type like Matisse, and Matisse was just endlessly doing landscapes up until he's 95 and he's doing the same landscapes and he's just trying to make them better and better and better and better. And so even though I have had these moments in my like, kind of like earlier years where I was able to do these kind of vaguely kind of young genius moments, I have settled into a state in which I am just consistent, just working on the process to improve. And so one of the big changes for me is i learned how to become a ceo through in a, in a much more of a pressure cooker way than most people most people start a company and it kind of like goes somewhere like sort of and i learned to be a ceo by raising 150 million dollars scaling a team from zero to 250 plus people in under like three four years maybe uh and uh building a category or let's say a category entrant out of scratch, uh, from scratch and not literally having kind of like not that much mentorship around me. And so I had this crazy ride, but now I actually know it's this weird thing that I've kind of come to grips with recently. I actually know how to be a CEO and run companies and I actually like am good at it. So it's, it's a different thing. I've like found my place, People ask me often, will you write another book again? I wish you blogged. Like I just loved your podcast, like all these different things. I considered those projects in a lot of cases that I would do for two or three years or some other thing like that. Then I would maybe get burned out on them and I didn't want to do them anymore. Whereas being a CEO, I actually am good at and I can keep doing for a really long time. And this is this kind of like weird chrysalis, like awakening moment when I emerge from the Lotus blossom or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Like I actually am really good at this. And this means that I can impact a lot of people. You asked me a little bit about the thread. I call it a red thread. It's an expression I got from Tamsin McMahon, who is another author. And it's this, this sort of through line through your life. And this idea of this through line through your life is like, that's been sort of the the thing that has, you have valued all throughout it. And for me, Going back to the sort of the beginning and feeling like an underdog, I always want to give people individuals more empowerment than they have been, than they've had. And so I did that a breather, and all my books are about that. And practice is really intended to serve solopreneurs. So it's kind of the same thread all throughout. And and I really I I realize one of the things you realize when you start a company is you kind of only have a shot a couple shots if it's going to work well, and if you it is going to work well. Like you've had, for example, Alexis O'Hanian on this show. It's like, you don't have like 50 shots. You've got like probably five to really make a difference at something. And I thought, well, what is it that I really care? And I went back throughout my life and I said, what are the things that I cared about today at my age, but that when I was 20, I still cared about? So those are the through lines. And I went through them and there's not a lot of them. And I said, those are the things, probably the only things that I can start businesses doing. Cause it's the only thing else they will care about in 10 years. And one of those was this idea of, of individual empowerment and being able to help individuals and allowing them to like become better and to get higher leverage and be more successful with little. And so that's why I started this business. And that's me, probably that, that, that deep care that I have and that my team has today is probably one of the reasons we're successful.
1: Do you still enjoy it? Like, do you, do you, do you feel a lot of energy around I it do. when you, when you wake yes. up?
0: Yeah. But I had to set boundaries for myself. A lot of people like out there are like, why would you start another venture back company? It's horrible. Right. Like, cause we, we, we talk like a bunch of us that have raised money before are like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, pretty sure these that, these. are
2: you talking about me?
0: <laughs> <But> I don't, <laughs> I'm not talking about you in this case. <laughs> I was thinking about somebody else, but there's a lot of people who believe that. And I actually like, I know that I'm entering into a contract in which I get extremely high leverage as a result of some weird like category risk, which you wouldn't get if you weren't taking venture back, uh, venture, venture financing. And I'm conscious of that risk and I really embrace it as a result of being able to accelerate because when you, what happens in venture-backed companies, like every, anyone who's here, who's who started one, Greg knows. I definitely know, is you get this density of talent that's just unbelievable, and you meet people, you're just like, holy fuck! And by the way, one of the people is someone that you referred to me, dude. Is that literally we were looking for an onboarding specialist? We hired somebody, and they were someone who listened to maybe that, were, that followed y'all's uh, uh, Twitter feeds and listened to the show. And his name is Rahul and he's been on our team for three months and just now right before this we were talking to him we were talking about him and we were like i can't believe this rando just showed up and is so excellent at this stuff you just find these people right other people maybe people will be jealous on my team because i'm talking about one guy we have a great team of people but this is one that kind of came out of nowhere and i love finding undiscovered people i love making them more excellent when i can And I love being able to build something with small teams of people really feeling like a tribe. I I love that. So I actually like it way more than last time, but I needed to set boundaries in order to allow that to happen.
1: There's so much that I'm taking away from this conversation, like personally and professionally. I mean, one of the things that's been a big takeaway for me is like this idea of the red thread that you just raised, um, you know, and like the through line through your life and being really thoughtful and introspective about that through line um, you know, you just mentioned it, like your ability to reflect on each stage, what you picked up, what the just like painful losses were that really did nothing and compounded in no way. Um, but use everything and kind of every little lesson and learning along the way to, um, you know, hopefully ultimately lead you to a place where you're deriving a ton of energy from the things you're working on and doing. Um, I mean, I I'm coming away, feeling uh feeling quite inspired around all of that greg i don't my know my big takeaway uh, I know about is
2: you. is be like be like matisse like i had never heard that before and although um a lot of people including myself might be envious of being a picasso um it's just way more consistent to become a matisse i think anyone could become a matisse if they just put in the work and sort of focus um and uh yeah, I mean, also, what would Julian do? WWJD. I should swap my hat. I should so- swap my available. hat.
0: Yeah, buy, buy that domain name. Buy and domain my, name. Um, my,
1: last, my last takeaway for everybody that um, I had written down as we went through was that secret project, that idea you've had, find a small way to work on it a little bit every single day. Um, and I love that when you said that, because it was like, it takes the intimidation factor completely out of it. If you just think of it as like, I'm going to do 15 minutes on this thing a day, I have this like 30 for 30 idea where you just spend 30 minutes a day for 30 days. And at the end of that, you know, you have 900 minutes of accumulated effort on something, it's bound to make forward progress during that period. And that can be anything cardio, you know, workouts whatever it is, writing, et cetera. But like a secret project, if you just find one small way to push the ball forward every single day, um, it's pretty amazing what you can accomplish in a short period of time. So that, that was my one final um, takeaway to leave people with. Uh, this was awesome, Julian. Where, where can people find you and, and practice?
0: Practice is at, at do. I'm at twitter.com slash Julian. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can just Google me, I'm all over the place, but thanks very much for having <laughs> this me. This is true.
1: This is true. And if you are a solopreneur, uh, you know, Greg and I are both biased, as Julian said, as, uh, as proud investors in Julian and, and what he's building. Um, but they're building an amazing operating system and platform for solopreneurs to uh, effectively do their work and scale and grow and empower empower them. So um, really proud to be investors, proud to be your friend, and uh, excited for everyone to get to listen to this and hopefully take things away from it. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you have any questions that you want featured in a future episode, email us at hi at trwih.com. Leave us a review at Apple or Spotify to help us grow the reach of this podcast. Until next time, we will see you soon joy because they just want you in that same old
0: predicament misery love a company think on it pray on it sip a cup of tea never let the world be broken in the borders